your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And we've been talking for a number of weeks now. We've had a few interruptions, but a number of weeks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and why He is so important. And uh, we're going to, we talked about His ministry in the Old Testament. It's a good background because if you don't understand how different the Old Testament is from the New Testament, a lot of people struggle because they're bringing Old Testament ideas into the New Testament, and that's not God's plan. It's a progressive revelation. And then we studied his ministry in Jesus' life and how critical part of Jesus' ministry was. In fact, everything Jesus did, his power, his direction, all of it came by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We saw how Jesus, when he left heaven as the second person of the Godhead and was born into Mary's womb and was conceived in there and became a child and grew up, that he had laid aside all of his glory, all of his powers that he had as the second person of the Godhead, and he became, a, 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 he became God's son, but also in human form. He's that incredible mixture that man has trouble understanding of God dwelling in man. And the, John 1.14 says, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. But he did do no mighty miracles until it was time for his public ministry to begin. And he went down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And when he did, the scriptures tell us in several places that the Spirit of God came from heaven and descended upon him uh, in the form of a dove. It wasn't, the Spirit of God's not a dove, but he descended the way a dove would come down. He didn't just go like a, you know, a cannonball dropping out of heaven. And so... And from that point on, Jesus began his public ministry, and that's when the miracles and the dramatic things and the dynamic power of God began to demonstrate through his life. And he was a prototype, we talked about that, to show what a Christian, a, a born-again Christian is supposed to function. And so, you know, when we see miracles and things like that, we say, wow, wasn't that amazing? But if we were operating the way we're supposed to, they shouldn't be that amazing. They should be commonplace. They were in Jesus' life in ministry. He said, well, that was Jesus. But, but Jesus left and he turned this ministry over to the rest of his body. He's the head of the body, it says in a number of places. And the church is the body of Christ. And so we're called to do the works that, in fact, didn't he say, I think it's in John 14, he says, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. And then he goes on to explain the reason you can do the greater works and the works that I do is because I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask him and he's going to send the same spirit that's been in me is now going to be in you. And then we looked in the day of Pentecost and what exactly what he said happened. He'd been crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead, uh, and ascended into heaven. And, and on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came to where they were having their prayer meeting. So it's amazing when you have a prayer meeting, what can happen in a prayer meeting. And the Spirit of God came in there, and the, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church was birthed at that time. And then we've looked at, last week, we looked at his ministry in the early church, in the book of Acts, and we saw how utterly dependent upon him they were because they didn't have any idea what had happened. They didn't realize that they were starting a church. They didn't realize that they were starting the first church of Christ or whatever. You know, they, they didn't know that. They didn't know what was going on. All they knew is he said, wait there, and when you'll know when it happens. And this spills out into the streets of Jerusalem. They still don't know what's happening. So they're gathering together to pray and try to figure all this out. So they knew how dependent they were. But we noticed last week as we went through and traced it that the further you go into the book of Acts, and we're talking about, you know, maybe 30 years by the way we get to, toward the end of it, the less you see the Holy Spirit mentioned because they became more and more organized and more and more structured. And that's what the history of the church has been like ever since, is, is you have a move of God, the Spirit, which is sparked by, sparked by the Spirit of God, and nobody has any idea what's happening. We're just following Him desperately, and wonderful things are happening. And then we try to figure out how to keep this going, how to organize it, and we begin to put structure. And there's nothing wrong with structure as long as we're not structuring Him out. And so, and that's the art, that's the balance that we need in the church today. So we've looked at that. What we're going to begin to talk about tonight is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life, in the life of the individual believer. Think about this, and you hear me say this many times, especially at the beginning, so often on Sunday, is, is when we open the Word of God, there's two things God gave to His church. Understand how much God loves the church and how important the church is to God now as much as it was back in that first century. And so God's going to equip us with what we need. And God knows what we need more than we know what we need. 
I mean, it's nice to have the nice stage and the nice lights and the better screens and the nice sound system. That's nice, and those are tools. But God didn't give to the first church lighting systems and sound systems and air conditioning and all that. He gave to the church two things, which means God knew those were the two essential things, and everything else is nice. And He gave us the Word of God, and He gave us the Spirit of God. And basically, God's saying with those two things... Ultimately, that's all you need. And all the rest of it's nice, but those are the essential things. And so we have to be very careful because as churches grow and prosper, and we're in a time when that's happening in the state, United States, they're getting, we can, it's very easy to get caught up in all the other things and minimize, I guess, yeah, minimize, minimize the Word and minimize the Spirit. And I've been in churches that are doing one or the other. They're just, I've been in churches that, you know, you, that you'll hardly ever hear Scripture quoted. And then I've been in churches where nobody ever talks about the Holy Spirit, and you don't ever see anything happening. And so it's the combination of the two. And that's what we've talked about. Now we're going to look at these combinations in our life. Because just the church is us. You understand that. It's not this building. It's, it's us. It's, it's, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Individually, you and I are, and collectively when we come together, we are the temple, the dwelling place of the presence of God on the earth. The only place God dwells in a permanent position in the earth today is in the church itself. And that's not in the building, it's in us. Sometimes we may experience His presence as we worship like tonight, and sometimes we don't. But He is in us. You brought the church in when you came. Amen? Four of you believe that. Okay, well, more by the time we're finished, more of you will. All right, I gave, I gave you enough time to go to Ephesians. So we're going to look at tonight, and, and tonight we're going to look at what his assignment is in us. Because he has an assignment from God in you. He is in you on a mission from God. And he's very good at this mission, but we need to understand what that mission is so that we can learn to cooperate with him. So Ephesians chapter 2, the first thing we're going to look at is he's, he has a role in our salvation. Ephesians 2 uh, starts by saying that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Verse 4 says, uh, verse 5 says, But even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I've been saved 37, maybe 38 years. And the reality of that's hitting me at a different level. We, we have been raised up together with Christ. Raised up together with Christ. Well, if we had taken the time to go back in the end of chapter 1, Paul's prayer is that we would have an understanding, a revelation of what God did, what, what, that, that He would give us an understanding of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of, of, of Him, we would have an understanding of the inheritance that He had with all the saints, and an understanding of the exceeding greatness of the power that God demonstrated when He raised Christ from the dead. And then chapter 2 tells us that we've been raised up with Him, and verse 6 says, we've been seated with Him in heavenly places. Well, how did we get raised up with Him? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead has raised you up to be seated with Him. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm sitting here in a blue chair right now. Yeah, your body is, but positionally, we are seated with, we've been joined together with Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we're one spirit with Him. We've been joined together with Him. And the more I meditate on that, the more I absorb that in me, the more it's changing me because more real it is that I have been joined to Christ. Just as 49 years ago, and Anita and I were joined together, and we've been growing in this oneness that we have. And we've had times when we felt that oneness, other times when we wonder, what one are we, whether we're, you know... But, but the more we've grown together, the more we know each other, the more we experience that oneness. And the same is true with Him. You've been joined to Christ. So when God sees you, He sees Christ. Now when you see you, you probably don't see Christ yet. That's why we act the way we do. But when God sees you, He, sees, he has confidence in what He's done. He sees Christ in you. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all over the New Testament. Christ in you. You've been joined to Christ. So many scriptures about in Christ we are this. In Christ we are that. And it's, it's the Spirit of God that joined us to Christ. He raised us up with Him and joined us together with Christ. I like what the Amplified says. They're not going to put it up there, but I just want to read it to you. And when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, He made us alive together in fellowship, and listen to this, and in union with Christ. 
He gave us the very life of Christ Himself, the same new life with which He quickened Him, which made Him alive. For it is by grace His favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers, oh listen to this, made partakers of Christ's salvation. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 36, which is a prophecy in the Old Testament of the new birth. Ezekiel 36. I mentioned this on Sunday in one of the services. Verse 25. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then, and he's talking about now, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart or spirit or nature, and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. That's an unrenewed heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. In the Old Testament, God's requirements were written written on tables of stone. It's the law. But in several places, and including here, God says, and it's referred to in Hebrews in two places, God says, that's what I did in the old days. But in the new covenant, I will write my law in your hearts. So you will have in your hearts a sense of what's right and wrong. It's not going to be on stone tablets. It's not going to be on pages of a book. It's going to be in your heart you will know what's wrong so that you'll be able to walk that out out of a heart of love, out of a heart of compassion, not in the Old Testament. It was you do it or you die. And so God's talking about He's he's changing us by putting His nature in us, but also by putting His Spirit in us to guide us and to direct us and to enable us. Okay, the Holy Spirit has joined us to Christ. When we talk about we're one with Him, how does that happen? I mean, I'm one of those people that says, okay, what's that mean? That's a nice idea, but what does that mean? The Spirit of God is what joins you to Him. God's Spirit is living in you. And we're going to get to that in a, few, in a little later. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, Who knows the spirit of a man except the, who knows the heart of a man except the spirit that's in him? Even so, no one knows God's heart except his spirit. You put those two statements together, and it's saying the spirit of God is God's spirit. It's his nature. So God's taken his own nature, his own spirit, and put him inside of you. I mean, when, when that dawns on us, it will change us. God is living inside of you. You are one-third God. Now, it's the one-third of us we spend the least time thinking about or being in touch with. And we'll talk about that maybe another time. About We will talk about another time about what it means to walk in the Spirit. But before you can walk in Him, you've got to have who, know who He is in you and what He's in there to do. So Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Second Corinthians one twenty one says, Now He who established us with you in Christ and anointed us as God, who has also sealed us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. The word sealed means two things. It has two aspects to it. To be sealed means to be marked with something. So I don't know if they still do it, but I think they used to. If you go into a a grocery store and you're going to buy some choice meat, there's a mark on there. Do they still do that? U.S. grade A A choice meat. Okay, so the government inspectors have sealed that with a mark that's saying, this has met our approval. You can't tell it by looking at me, and I can't tell it by looking at you. But if we can see into the spirit realm, you're marked. That's how the devil knows who belongs to God. Because in the spirit realm, you're marked. Not with a government stamp, U.S. Day, you know, government approved, whatever, grade A. You're marked with the spirit of God. He is God's presence in you. In the Old Testament, when Moses was leading the people and they didn't want to go where God wanted them to go, God says, okay, I'm not going to go with you anymore. And then they said, well, okay, we're going to go. And, but God said, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, God, if you don't go with us, I'm not going anywhere. Because it's your presence with us that makes us different from everybody else. It's your presence with us. And I just think there's so many places that are trying to be God's representative without His presence there. It's His presence in us that makes us different. 
I've had in the course of, of, of meeting with the teams of doctors that I'm working with. I was with a doctor yesterday, and he said, you know, I was talking with the team, and he says, they really like you. You know, and, and like he was kind of astonished, not he was astonished because I've known him for a long time. And I walked in and said, well, that's nice, the doctor. And then I realized, no, what it is, they saw something in me. It wasn't that they liked the way I could. I mean, they see people all the time in all different stages of things. And, and, but what it was, they could sense something in me. This God's presence in me, God's life in me. I've always had favor wherever I worked. And I, you know, in the beginning, I used to think, well, I guess it's because I'm so handsome. No, I know, I didn't think that. I knew better than that. But, it's, but I realized this, is they didn't know what it was, but it was God's presence in me. His love in me, His, His presence in me drew people to me. And so it's what makes us different from the world. And so, um, so he's, he's, the, he's what joins you. Oh, He marks you. The other meaning of seal is to, is to wrap her with something that protects it from the elements. So nowadays, I don't know that they have butcher shops anymore the way you used to, but nowadays, when they, in the, if you go to one of the grocery, big grocery stores, they have a butcher shop in the back, but what they do is then they take that piece of steak and they put it on that ugly plastic thing, and then what do they do? They shrink wrap it. They wrap it around with something that's plastic that goes around it, and then suck the air out of it so it's sealed in there. And that sealing in there protects it from the contaminating elements of the air. So the last, so the Spirit of God has two roles, sealing roles in you. One is to mark you as belonging to God and joining you to Christ. The other is to provide a protection if we'll learn to cooperate with Him. And this is why so many Christians struggle, get in trouble, is we haven't learned how to cooperate with Him because most of us aren't really walking around to where He's in us until we get into trouble, and then often we don't even listen for Him. So He seals us. The third thing that's mentioned in this verse, as a pledge. And that's mentioned several times in Paul's writing. And the Greek word is a word, arabon, A-R-A-B-O-N, which literally means an engagement ring. It's a pledge of something. And we'll talk about that at the end. We may not get it quite to the night. But God has put a part of His kingdom in you. And the Bible says He's in you, in, for one of His roles in you is the down payment to show you that all the rest of what God's promised us in the future is true. So if you've ever bought a house or sold a house or bought a car, or, uh, you'll find that what they want from you is a down payment, earnest money, to show that you really intend to buy that house so that you don't just sign a contract. So, you know, I think I'd like to do it. So you take it off the market. Somebody else comes by and you say, I'm sorry, it's off the market. And then the person that says, I want to buy, ah, I, you know, I've been looking at other properties. So if you put 10% of the purchase price down, now they know you're serious. And the other thing about a down payment, it's it's always of the same material of the rest of what's coming. So if you put down, you don't put down a down payment of a truckload of cabbage and then you're going to pay them $250,000 in real cabbage cash to buy the house. No, they want money if you're going to pay them, the balance is going to be money. So what God's put in us is a, is a, is a down payment of the promised glory and kingdom that's awaiting us. And He's put Him inside of you. So God, part of God's kingdom is in you right now. The rest of it we're going to experience when we walk into glory. But we have a taste of it down here right now. The problem is most of us aren't tasting it because we're not aware of it, conscious of it, listening to it, or cooperating with Him. And we'll talk about that down the road too. But you've got to know He's in there, first of all. And then Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the ray So the Spirit of God's in you. One of His roles is to protect you spiritually. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that the enemy, Satan tried to do all kinds of things to us he was not able to do because God protected us. So we go through days that I don't know if God even knows where I am. We're going to be very embarrassed when we find out what he did for us on those days. So, all right, we've got to move on. We don't want to dwell on that note. The next thing is he's proof of our acceptance by God. I referred to this a little bit on, on Sunday. His presence in Jesus was a sign of the Father's approval. 
Luke 3.22, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him, this is when he was baptized, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. So the Father's sign of approval on the Son was he sent his Spirit upon him. You ready? Now I'm going to show you in Galatians chapter 4. Put that up there. So we've just seen God poured His Spirit out on Jesus when He was baptized in the Jordan River and gave His approval. And because you are sons, and because you are sons, look at that. Not, he doesn't say in order to make you sons. Because what made you a son was God birthed a new spirit in you. But we read in Ezekiel, God put an, a, a brand new spirit in you, and in addition to that, He put His spirit in you. So you were already God's child, and then He puts His spirit in you. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit in you, go to verse 7. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Romans 8 says you're joint heirs with Christ. Hebrews says we're his brother. He's not ashamed to be called your brother. Jesus is not ashamed to be called your brother. We have the same father. And we are heirs with Him. We are joint heirs with Christ in God. But the sign of His approval is He's put His Spirit in you. The same way He put Him in His Son when He walked on the earth. Romans 8.15 For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And in addition to that, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's when He goes on to say, and if we're children, then we're heirs, and if we're heirs, then we're joint heirs. Okay, so He's the one that made us alive unto God. He's the one that's joined us to Christ. He's the proof of our acceptance by God. The next thing is, he has an assignment in us to mature us. He has an assignment in us to mature us. God's not standing in heaven and said, All right, now that I've birthed you, get your lack in order. Get yourself in order. Because if you read Romans 7, we're not going to take time to do that. Romans 7, especially starting around verse 14, is Paul's description of his effort now that he's born again to mature himself and to make himself into the image of Christ. Because we're going to see tonight, God's goal for you is nothing short of transforming you into the image of Christ. Really what his goal is, and we learned this in Renewing the Mind, is to take who you are on the inside and help you bring who you are on the inside to the outside where there are people can experience who you are, really are on the inside. Okay? Now, so his goal is to change us into the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 For whom He foreknew Oh, this is... I've got to be careful here because we could just... Hmm, we're going to get into this maybe Sunday. For whom He foreknew, whom He knew ahead of time, that's all of us, He predestined. Don't get hung up on that. That just means He planned ahead of time for. At Christmas time when all our kids come home, my wife starts planning menus and planning things to do. She's predestining what's going to happen. She's planning ahead of time for. So whom God foreknew, which is you and me, He pre-planned something. What did He pre-plan? He predestined, He predestined that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So God's blueprint for you as weak as you may think you are, as messed up as you may think you are, God's plan for your life, His goal when He looks at you, is to conform you to the image of His Son. Spirit, soul, and body, eventually. That's God's goal. 
Now, here's the issue. We have some sense of that. At least we have some sense that as Christians, we ought to act better. We ought to be more loving. We ought to be more... But we try to do it in our own power. And we're not going to take the time to go there. But if you read Romans 7, starting around verse 14, is where Paul talks about his effort to try to make himself like Christ in his own strength. And that's where he says, the very things that I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do are the very things I go out and do. Can anybody relate to that? He says, I find this, that there's a law at work in my sins at work in my members, whereas the desire to do good is in my, is in my inner man. I don't know who's going to deliver it, who's going to set me free from this body of death. Nowhere in those verses is the Spirit of God mentioned. So this is a description of Paul's effort to try to conform himself to the image of Christ by his own strength. And Paul found that the harder he tried, the worse he got. It's kind of like getting, you're getting stuck in a snowdrift in the wintertime, which I guess is the only time you would, and then trying to get out by spinning your tires faster. What happens? You just go deeper in the snow or in mud if that's what you happen to be stuck in. So the more you try, the deeper you dig yourself into. And Romans 8 is the great emancipation proclamation. Because Paul ends Romans 7 by saying, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. Chapter 8 starts, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Because what the law could not do, because it relied on my flesh and it was weak, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned my sin in His flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in me who walks not according to the flesh, my effort, but according to the Spirit who lives in me. The Holy Spirit is from the beginning of Romans 8 all the way through to the end. It's all talking about what we couldn't do for ourselves. God did for us through the Spirit. And then He picks up in verse 26, talking about, or 28, so we don't know how to, 26, we don't even know how to pray as we ought. And He says, yeah, and the Spirit's been given to you to help you do that too. So the Spirit is in us on the assignment to enable us and empower us to change into the image of Christ. There's a role we have to play. We just can't sit at home watching TV, eating Twinkies, and say, well, Holy Spirit, go to it. We've got to obey Him and do the things He says to do, but He enables you. He works with you. He knows you. He knows what you're capable of at this stage, and He knows what you're not capable of at this stage. And He works with you where you are, as long as you'll listen to Him. And we're going to learn how to do that. It's called walking in the Spirit. We're going to learn how to do that. All right. Uh, Romans, or Ephesians 3, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power or might through His Spirit in your inner man. So He's going to talk here, and we'll get into this on our Sunday series. He's going to talk about God revealing to us, to the Ephesians there, but to us, God revealing to us the incredibly unbelievable extent of His love for us through Christ that passes human knowledge. How can we do that? Because we've got to be strengthened with might. That word is dynamite. That word through His Spirit in our inner man. It takes the Holy Spirit in us to strengthen us and equip us to be able to receive the knowledge, the revelation of God's love for us. That's how overwhelming that love is. I've read the, I've read the, uh, the, the, bio, the autobiography of Charles Finney, great evangelist in the early 1800s. And he talks about when he got, he was an ex-lawyer also, he talks about when he got saved out in a field and he came back and went to bed that night and he says, I woke up and all of a sudden it was like somebody poured honey over me. And it was great waves of love just flooding his soul. And he said, I just dissolved on the floor in tears for hours. And then I finally got up and tried to go back to bed. And I don't remember all the details. And he woke up again and just kept these waves of love. God's love just poured. He couldn't stand in it. I was listening to a teacher I know that was talking about it. He was in that for four months. I said, wow, wouldn't that be wonderful? He says, no, when he came out, he says, God, kill me. Because life is, I can't handle life without that. That love, God's love is so far beyond our, our, our it's, so, it's beyond our ability to, to handle it. So that we have to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit 
in order to handle the revelation of it. So his role is to work in us, to change us into the image of God. God's at work in you. Isn't that what Paul says? For is God at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So I guess it requires our will involved, but he's at work on your will. And God won't violate your will, but he'll sure influence it. He'll sure influence it if we give him half a chance. Okay. So he's responsible for helping us to mature. Ephesians 4, we're not, they're not going to put it up there. 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature, that means a grown-up Christian, a man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. By the way, if you read earlier, that's what the ministry gifts are for. The ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are to equip the saints, that's all of us, to do the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry of the church is to, is to, is to mature the body of Christ until we all come to the, to the image, to the, um, to the fullness, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, he's not talking about each one of us, but it's collectively coming to that. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed about here and there by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even the church. So He's to help us mature. He's to help us to overcome our flesh and sin. Romans 8. Having gone through what I just quoted to you of what God did for us in Christ... Then he talks about, then why, why, why would you be conscious of the flesh? Why would you be governed by your flesh? Because all the flesh does is get us in trouble. And said, if you're conscious of your spirit, if you're relying on the spirit of God in you, he leads to life and peace. And he goes through all that and he says, but you know, if, if, the, if you don't have the spirit of God in you, then you're not his. So part of what makes you known as this, his is you've got the spirit of God in you. And then he says, but if the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will also make alive your mortal body. And then he goes into this verse, 12. So then, brethren, having talked about what God's done for us, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, which means governed by its dictates. And that's not just, you know, I want to eat that Twinkie when I get home tonight. It's also whether I'm relying on my flesh to make myself right in God's eyes. I'm relying on my flesh, on my own efforts. But it does also involve this flesh sin. So then, brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And, and the one thing I've found in my life, and I'm sure you've, whether you've found it or not, you've been doing it, is the harder I try by my own efforts to control something, the more something else gets out of control. In the old days, we had old days, well, it was, I, we, I had cars before that. For some of you, it's old days. The car radios used to have push buttons. Remember those? And, and, and so if you, if you wanted, you know, whatever your favorite channel was on the first one, and you push that, you say, no, I'm going to try something else. So you go to push the one at the other end. What happens to the first one? It pops out. So you can't get... Two of them, in, and that's what it's like with the flesh trying to get the flesh under control. You may get one of them under control, but about the time you get that one under control, you say, you know what, I got a pretty good job. Again. Pride starts sticking itself out at the other end. Because every time you try to get yourself under control, your focus is on what you're doing. And this is the devil's trap. We learned some of this in Renewing the Mind. The more you think about something, whatever it is, the bigger it will become in your mind. So the more you think about you, good or bad, the bigger you become in your mind, and the more you rely on you, and the more frustrated you get with you. But the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. All right. Okay. Galatians 5, and this is where we're going to end up eventually in here. Galatians 5, verse 16, and then verse 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit, or walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
Verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, desires, and passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So Paul's making a distinction there between walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. If, if you're a Christian, you've been made alive by the Spirit of God. We talked about that in the very beginning. He's brought you alive. So what Paul's saying is if you're living, if you've been made alive by the Spirit, keep it up there. Let us walk by the Spirit. In, in, in Colossians 3, Paul says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now going off in the flesh? And so what we do is the Spirit of God's what's brought us alive unto God. He's raised us up. He's performed this miracle in us of making us born again. And now he's saying, now go to ver- verse 20. Yeah. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And we'll talk about what that means. But I want you to see, before that will mean anything to you, you have to have an understanding of what we're going through tonight. He has an assignment in you to help you in these areas. He has an assignment in you after having raised you up and seated you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He has an assignment in you to protect you spiritually. He has an assignment in you to help you to grow and to mature. He has an assignment in you working on the inside of you, cooperating with God's will for your life to empower you and enable you. There's a word that Paul uses for this that we narrow down often in our, uh, in our understanding. It's the word grace. Most of us say, what is grace? Grace means God's unmerited favor. Roman, Ephesians 2, we read it earlier tonight, we're saved by grace, received through faith. Grace is God's side. Grace is giving us something we didn't deserve. Grace is, it literally, if you bo- study the word down, it means favor. It's God's favor, and with God, that's all the blessings of God that come with that. But if you read Paul's writings in his letters, he, he, it's the same idea, but he applies something else. He applies it to something else. He also applies to a meaning of God's ability to do something. So God says, this grace was given to me in several places, which means if you read the context, it was God's ability was given to me to do certain things. Well, it was given by grace because Paul sure didn't earn it. And so when the Spirit of God is in us to help us, that's God's grace at work in us. So when Paul says, grace and peace be unto you, well, grace has already been given us to save us, so we don't need that kind of grace anymore, but we do need grace to live. We do need grace to operate in the gifts that God's given to us. We do need grace to grow, and that's God's favor from God's side working in us. But everything with God works with this combination of grace on one side and favor on the other. Grace is what God's given to us. I mean, grace and faith. Grace is what God's given to us. Faith is what we operate in to receive it and cooperate with it. Grace, faith, and I don't want to get off into faith tonight, but faith is, a, is, is, is merely something to receive something. In Ephesians 2, which we read before, is we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is God's gift to us, but it's given to everybody. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God's grace is available to everyone. But whosoever believeth on Him, that's referring to faith. Whosoever receives that grace through faith will not perish but have everlasting life. I look at it this way, and it's a little dangerous to do it on a Wednesday night, but in the summertime, and we're, I guess we're getting there, one of the things I like to do, not every time, not regularly, but as a treat myself, is I like an awful, awful. There's a reason why they call it that way. Well, Friendly's calls it a fribble, so awful good, yeah. And, and, and in the summertime, if you get them on Mondays, it's really the devil, because they'll give you two for the price of one. And so I'll buy the second one and put it in the freezer. And so, so you, get that, you get that, you know, and now, now they give you, but, but that doesn't do any good if I've got this, this awful, awful in this container with a lid on it. I, I'm just frustrated. 
That's what they gave me because I paid for it. They gave it to me. So in order for me to receive the value of it, I got to pull, get a straw, and I got to stick the straw down in the middle of it, and then I got to draw that mocha, I like, draw that mocha right up through there. So I'm receiving that awful, awful through the straw. The straw is the vehicle that gets the mocha, coffee, awful, awful, where it really does the most good in my mouth. It, it's what allows me to receive what's in there. And grace is what God's given us. It's His favor. It's His benefit. It's His blessing. It's a enormous package. But it's there but the only way it gets in our mouth or gets in our heart is be received by faith. So grace and faith work together and grace is God's side and faith is our side. And, and where we make the mistake is we think faith is something we have to do to earn the grace. No, faith is just the straw. Any more than the straw is what bought, got for me that awful, awful. But I need the straw to enjoy the, 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 the ice cream and the milkshake. Everybody, I didn't lose anybody there, did I? Okay, good. Nobody headed out the door yet. All right. So, how did I get off on that? Okay. So, it's receiving this, this grace is God's, the Spirit of God in us to help us mature, but we have to cooperate with Him by faith. Okay, all right, let's move on. Um, and it's His fruit that's developed us. We'll look at that later on. The next thing is He enables us to communicate with the Father and His realm. Our mind and flesh, this is so important, cannot contact or grasp mind. God. You cannot understand God with your mind. You cannot communicate with God with your mind because John 4 says God is a spirit. And they who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I taught this a number of years ago, and I don't want to shake anybody up or don't throw your Bibles at me or get mad at me. It's what the Word of God says. Most of what we do that we call worship is not true worship. doesn't mean God doesn't love us. doesn't mean God's not pleased. But true worship can only go spirit to spirit. And because most of us are not in touch with our spirits very much, we, don't get, we think goosebumps and emotions are the spirit. And what goosebumps and emotions are, are goosebumps and emotions. They're in our soul. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not true worship. Because true worship is a spirit-to-spirit connection between God and our spirit. And the spirit of God is in us to help us do that. Also, communication with God. We're to be led by the Spirit. Proverbs says, The Spirit of the Lord is a candle of man. It guides and lightens, it lights us. Uh, Romans 8 says that, that all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. God's primary way of leading a Christian and directing a Christian is by the direction, the prompting of His Spirit prompting our spirit. And it's a perfect method of communication. I don't have time to go through all this tonight, but it's this way. God is a Spirit. His Spirit is living in you. So when God wants to tell you something, there's an absolutely perfect communication between God and His Spirit because it's His Spirit. His Spirit and your Spirit are fused together. They're perfectly joined together. So there's no breakdown in communication between God's Spirit and your Spirit. Say, well, how come I'm not hearing? Because your Spirit is located somewhere down in your center. It's down in here if you were to describe it physically. The problem is we can only understand what's going on down in here through our mind. So the problem is a breakdown of somewhere in this 18 inches between down here and up here. So down in your spirit, you know God's will. You know what God's saying. Say, well, how come I'm not hearing it? Because you haven't developed the sensitivity enough to it or you're being distracted by so many things, and me too, all around us. A teacher I know I was listening to the other day was, uh, had a dream. In the dream, God quoted a scripture to him. Be still and know that I am God. 
And he said, it was so strong, I knew God was trying to tell me something. So I got up in the morning and I got ready and went out on my deck out back, which is out in the country. He said, I decided to just literally sit still and see what happened. Because I didn't know what God was trying to tell me. So I sat down there and for an hour and a half, all I did was breathe and blink. Try that. So try to do that for 10 minutes. He said, I couldn't believe how hard it was. He said, and I'm sitting there and after a while, I was like, all right, inside of me, God, what are you trying to show me? Nothing. And then he began to realize, I'm hearing things I don't normally notice. I can hear birds chirping. He said, I'm out here every day. I can hear the wind blowing through the trees. A bird just went by. I heard his wings flap. God, what are you trying to tell me? And the Lord says, there are things I try to tell you every day that you can't hear because you're too busy. There's too much noise in your life. When God appeared to Elijah in the cave, first of all, there was a tornado, then there was an earthquake, and God wasn't in any of those. And then it says a still, small voice spoke to him from a cloud, and the Lord's voice was in that. The primary way that God speaks to us is through His Spirit. But I want you to see that it's not, I don't know what God's saying to me. He's in here. It's in here. It's already in you. Because God's Spirit in you is communicated perfectly with your spirit inside of you. So we just have to learn how to be sensitive and to be aware enough to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Now, that's God speaking to us. What about us speaking to God? Romans 8 26 says, we talked, referred to it earlier, he says, for the Spirit helps our infirmities, which is a weakness, not physical weakness, a weakness, he says, because don't, we don't know what to pray, because the things we're praying about are going on in a spirit realm, and we can't see into that to know what's really the issue is, or else we would know what to pray about. So what happens is, he said, so the Spirit intercedes for you or with you. That word literally in the Greek is a combination of three Greek words that means take hold together with against. Not take hold for you, take hold together with you against a situation. So the Spirit comes behind you to enable you to pray with you in that situation with groanings that aren't too deep to be uttered. And I'm not going to get into what that means because I'm not sure I know exactly what that means. All I know is the Spirit of God's in there helping me to pray. And then the next verse says, for the... for." Who knows, for God searches the heart of the Spirit, and the Spirit prays according to the perfect will of God. So just as the Spirit of God in you knows God's will and what God's trying to tell you and communicates that to your spirit, in the same way when you're praying, your spirit, this God's Spirit is able to understand exactly what you're trying to say, even though your mind may not be able to put it in rational words, and is able to communicate that and turn it perfectly into the Father's will and communicate it back to Him. God has provided for every Christian a perfect communication system stop and think about it why wouldn't he? he's God if he can create a universe that functions so precisely they know exactly where every star is going to be where it's supposed to be why can he not create a perfect communication system to communicate with his own children? so that shows us that the issue is on our side and God's not condemning anybody but we need to realize it's not God's not talking He's in you. In fact, you may find out when you begin to learn to do this, you've heard, been hearing God's voice, you just thought it was you. Because one of the devil's tricks is, well, I don't know, is that me or God? Well, if it's not life-threatening, step out and find out. You learn this by trial and error in some cases. Now, don't go stand in the middle of 195 saying, I think God told me to stand out here because you better be right. And most likely you're not. And we'll have somewhere to go tomorrow. None of us want to go. Your funeral. Don't go down into Rhode Island Hospital and start pulling everybody out of the beds unless you know God told you that. Because if God told you that, He'll honor that. But so start with something small. Just learn, you know, Lord, is, what do you want to show me here? I heard somebody talk about how they learned. A pastor just took them outside and said, all right, what are you sensing? I don't know. It's cold. Yeah, no, no, not your flesh. What are you sensing in here? Just begin to take some time every day. Just get quiet. Five minutes. All right, what am I sensing in here? What am I sensing in here? Now, Lord, show if that's you. Because He'll help you. He wants us to learn how to do this. Okay. Clock went out. Um, he's here in us to reveal God's will, God's nature, His blessings. And we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 2. Um, 
my, one of my favorite scriptures. I pray it almost every Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Go to verse 9. As it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor is it entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That means God has things in his heart he's prepared for you. Verse 10. You just had it there. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit is searching God's heart for desires He has for you to reveal them to you. Wow, is right. Think about that. Well, I don't know if God has... The Spirit of God is in you, and He searches God's heart every day because there are things for tomorrow God has for you, blessings He has for you, insight. Sometimes it's just a wow. It's like you'll be driving along and you'll see something. Wow, what a gorgeous tree. Wow. See, learn to be sensitive just to things and go, thank you, God, that I can see today. Those things begin to make you sensitive and, th- and thankful because a lot of times the reason we don't hear these things is we're not thankful about things. We're not thankful. All right, we're going we're gonna to have to end here. We've covered a lot of it. There's a lot of scriptures I can show you. Praise God. And then we'll, we'll start next time with the role He has in our future because our, our redemption comes through Him. I mean, the fullness of our redemption comes through Him. Uh, the, the resurrection of our body comes through Him. If the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken or make alive your mortal body. I believe that also means He'll heal your mortal body, but it also means He'll turn it into a, an immortal body. So he's, he's, he's the workhorse of the church, and He's living in you and me. And the reason He's not more effective is we're not more aware of Him, and we've not let, learned how to cooperate with Him. So we'll begin the next time we talk. It won't be next Wednesday. Pastor Michael's ministry next Wednesday. We'll begin to look at how do we cooperate with Him. And it's called walking in the Spirit. It's not some mystical thing where you go, ooh. It's a very practical, real thing. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your grace and goodness in our lives, for the things that we've heard. We've only heard seeds of things, but may they begin to grow in us. But most of all, Father, may we learn, help, help us to learn, help us to be aware of who it is that's living inside of us and all of his potential and what he wants to do in us so that we may learn to cooperate with him. Father, we don't have to talk him into anything. He's trying to talk us into allowing him to do his work in us. And Father, may we learn. May there be no one leaving here today feeling condemned. Father, for we're all growing in this. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.